0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey, everyone.
1: I'm Rod Roddenberry. And you're listening
2: to Trek FM.
0: Risk is our business.
2: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. Change the
0: laws of physics. Welcome everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore. The chief Ken Tripp could not be with us this week, but we have a very special guest to discuss Star Trek Beyond's home video release, Mr. Norman C. Lau. Welcome back, Norm.
1: Thanks. It's great to be back, and I'm very excited to be able to talk to all the Standard Orbit listeners out there. I hope that uh, some of you out there still remember my voice, but either way, um, it was a, a great privilege to uh, be invited back here on this very fancy, sparkly new setup that you guys have here.
0: Yeah, this is the uh, Enterprise A. So mm-hmm. you know, we got some new chairs. We got to, we got a clock over the view screen so we can keep track of time. You know, uh, move some stations around, but uh, you know, we, we 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 call it home. We like it. You know.
1: I see that the chief has Schmedlap and Umpty Scratch all whipped up into shape and they look like they look cleaner. Maybe they could use a shave, but you know, when the chief is away the Schmedlap and Umpty Scratch will play.
0: That's right. I leave that to to the Commodore. So that's that's his department. So (laughs) I've
1: been demoted now. I think I'm actually more an ambassador. Than Commodore, I think my Commodore. I think you have to be an active duty to be Commodore, right?
0: Commodore Lao retired, right?
1: That's right. I'm more like uh, the Ambassador Fox, like Robert Fox, and when he came in on a taste of Armageddon. Hopefully, I'm a better diplomat than he is. But
0: <laughs> well, it's great. It's great to have you back, Norm. So you know, just like you said, you know, we got a lot of listeners out there. They they've missed your voice on the airwaves. So you know, just before we kind of jump into things, you're just. Catches up on what you've been up to lately. I know your your Highlander podcast, Blood of Kings, has really taken off. You had a really cool Highlander experience recently. Uh, So you can just tell us a little bit about that. What's been up with you?
1: So one of the reasons why that I left Standard Orbit, probably the main reason why, is I had an opportunity to follow my true passion. And I said this in one of my my closing monologues, if you will, on the last Standard Orbit that I was on with Mr. Ataz. And I pursued my passion that is Highlander, Highlander the TV show and Highlander the movies and everything that has to do with Highlander. And my good friend, Kevin Reitzel, and I on the Fandom Podcast Network were afforded the opportunity to do our own podcast. It's called Blood of Kings, and we've been doing that pretty much ever since I went off the air on Standard Orbit. And it is basically a podcast all about Highlander, everything that has to do with the subject of it. Not necessarily an episode-by-episode episode show like Mission Log, you know, uh, for Star Trek, but this is basically looking at the premise of who wants to live forever and do all of the different factors of Highlander kind of hold up to that, that very singular premise. So we go over the stories of the TV show, the stories of the movies, um, some of the fan fiction and some of the history that, that people usually tend to forget about because it is pretty actually deep, dense lore. So it's been actually going really well and we have a pretty steady following. But yes, Zach, actually one of the coolest things that I've done so far is I actually had a chance to meet um, with Adrian Paul, who's the the star for the Highlander TV series, Duncan McLeod. And he runs a workshop called The Sword Experience. And last Saturday, October 29th at the LA Convention Center, I had a chance to actually learn sword choreography with him. And probably the highlight of that moment was when he and I actually did choreography together. So I actually was able to cross wooden swords with Adrian Paul, which was amazing.
0: That's awesome. You know, Duncan McLeod is my Highlander because I, I saw the TV show before. Mm-hmm. I saw the movie, so I was like, Oh yeah, well that he's the, the Highlander, you know, who's this yep. other guy? Who's <laughs> <you know? laughs> So yeah, just why you do know they have the same references you know yeah the yeah. same well they recast him for the show you know I, I thought that was clever that you know they, they were related but they ended up crossing over later and you know not to go on the Highlander and complete tangent here but you know i I enjoyed watching the show I, I know uh, down here in Houston where I grew up I, I believe it it came on because it was in syndication right the Highlander TV show it
1: was on USA yeah it was on the USA okay. network okay, from yeah. 1992 to 1998
0: yeah so it would come on you know all, all the classic you know stuff you' see in syndication so I, I I watched quite a bit of Highlander the series in my youth so that's it was always it was always a fun show and a great concept you know Mm -hmm. and uh yeah you you know there's been talk of a of a reboot of a movie reboot recently is there anything new on that I know I know Ryan Reynolds was gonna maybe play the Highlander but that that fell through I believe so
1: yeah there's a lot of discussion about it right now and uh there isn't anything firm there's just like the threat of a reboot coming so (laughs) it's really interesting because Highlander it took place in a moment of time where there wasn't a lot of social media. So how do you factor in all of these weird, strange phenomenons and beheadings without having it end up on Facebook, on Twitter or Instagram? Mm. How do you get around that? So I think that's something that you have to play to the uh, the strengths of kind of like Star Trek. You have to play to uh, the circumstances of the time. And, you know, like what Star Trek does, they always take that moral message and kind of convey it in the the realm of science fiction. But in this case, in Highlander, how do you how do you convey like what's happening with that in real time where everything is pretty much under the microscope all the time?
0: That is an excellent point. I didn't think about that. You know, if you're having uh, the quickenings happening left and right, someone's going to capture that on their iPhone. So exactly. I'm sure they will crack the code soon enough and we'll see the Kelvin timeline for the Highlander (laughs) universe before we know it. So. All right, well, speaking of the Kelvin timeline, let's get down to business. Uh, Star Trek Beyond was released on home video at the beginning of this month, and there have been several versions of it made available. This approach has its pros and cons, but we're going to get into it, aren't we, Norm?
1: We are. We are, definitely. And I think it's it's a really good time to talk about this because you and i were talking about this earlier we've had a chance for beyond to kind of settle a lot of star trek has settled at the kind of the back half or the last quarter of the 50th anniversary remember it started with a lot of trepidation we had a couple fumbles we had a couple of really good moments we had a great moment at the 50th i think beyond overall was a really good moment and then there were a couple other fumbles and some some tragedies and well, one particular tragedy and then everything kind of got quieted down a little bit until now.
0: Yeah, we are in a quiet spell. Um, I mean, the Discovery, you know, I, I'm not sure if any of those fumbles you were talking about were Discovery. They probably, <laughs> they might may or may not have been. <laughs> you can lump but, Discovery
1: in with uh, some of them, sure.
0: It's Discovery, you know, we, we get news every now and then. And it's just, it's yeah, opinions being what they are about it. No, none of the news that comes out is like, "Oh wow, that's awesome! I can't wait for a discovery." It's always like, "Oh, okay, well, you know, that can still... Oh, it's delayed. Oh, that's fine. Oh, Brian Fuller, he's leaving. Oh, well, he's still gonna be involved somehow." So it's always this like you can't really, there hasn't been a lot of news to get excited about, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But this, Star Trek Beyond on home video is something to get excited about because, you know, you loved it, I loved it. I think the general consensus from Star Trek fans and audiences in general was this is a great movie. A worthy uh, entry to the Star Trek movie franchise. A great way to celebrate the 50th and now you can own it. (laughs) at home so (laughs) of several versions of it though so we're just gonna kind of do a quick flyover of all the versions available to you because you know it's fresh it's new maybe a lot of you haven't bought it yet so now you'll know you'll be a little more educated and informed about what your options (laughs) may or may not be so uh let's get into it here norm um amazon Dot com. In mm. the USA and Canada, uh, Amazon has a 4K 3D Blu-ray combo connection uh, collection Excuse me, uh, that comes with a Franklin model. And I believe, is that what you got, Norm?
1: That's exactly what I got. I remember when they first started pre-ordering this, I'm like, click. Like, one-click order, done. I didn't even check my bank account. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because I've I've actually said this many times in in some of my later podcasts before I left. I love the USS Franklin. I love it as a ship. Uh, A lot of you may still remember that I was one of the co-hosts on Warp 5. And and this this era, the Franklin era, the the early warp stage ship technology and the way that they designed these ships is probably one of my favorite eras in all of Star Trek. So I had to get this version. I know that I was going to get a great product with the 4K and the Blu-ray and the 3D. Unfortunately... I only have like, I have a 10 year old Blu ray player. It's a Samsung and it still works great and there's nothing wrong with it. So I'd never had to replace it. But 4K. Can I get on a tangent about 4K for a second?
0: Oh, we are all about here at the uh, Kelvin Timeline A of San We are all about the tangents, Norm. So feel free.
1: <laughs> so the, the the most difficult thing for me, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people when it comes to these releases, uh, the one major thing is that. This is kind of the purchasing escalation phase. If you want to watch something in 4K, you have to do your homework because a 4K player doesn't necessarily work with the TV that you're using or there are various circumstances of combinations that everything has to basically line up to play 4K. You have to have an ultra HD TV. You have to have the 4K player. Then you actually have to have 4K media. Then you actually have to have something that can split the sound and, and, and make it worth your while because it's not just about picture anymore. It's about sound. So you're looking at the significant investment and upgrade to your, home, your own personal home entertainment system. Now, what inspires that? What makes you push to that? is it this particular collection because it also comes with your standard 3D and Blu-ray release. It doesn't come with a DVD in there though, but it does come with an actual voucher for a digital release. So that's that's the nice thing about this package. I If I didn't have to buy the 4K version of it, I wouldn't have, but this particular $49.99 version, I think it was... I bought it straight up for the <laughs> for the Franklin. I'll well, be honest. Well, if
0: you got if you got that Franklin model by itself, how much would that cost, right? I mean, that's a good looking good looking ship. There, it probably cost you at least twenty, right?
1: Well, to to give everyone a point of reference, and I, I could put this on the on the, the Babel conference. It is slightly larger than the nx one, which is a comparable ship because they're from the same time period. You're looking at twenty one fifty one. And the Kelvin were, was a few years earlier. So we're, we're talking about... Mr. Atos did the math, and we're looking at around 2130-something, because it had to come after first flight, which was like 2138 or something like we're that. We're talking the about Warp, the, the Franklin, you mean? We're talking about the Franklin, right? Yeah, because the, the Warp 2 ship came in first flight, and then you had the Franklin, which was the Warp 4 ship, and then you have the, the NX-01, which is the Warp 5 ship. So... Logically, you would think that body styles, they were probably similar in terms of scale. So when you're looking at the ship that comes with the Amazon package versus the ship that you have with Eagle Moss, the Franklin looks a little around maybe 10% larger. So it's a nice ship. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the Eagle Moss version of that ship is somewhere around 1999 retail. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, if you look if you do the math, the 4K version of the Blu-ray release, that particular package alone with the three different discs and the the uh, redeemable coupon for your digital download. That's probably around 20 25 bucks plus the ship is around 20 bucks. So yeah, you're looking at around a $50 value.
0: That's that's a pretty fair thing because you're getting four versions of the film. You're getting the standard Blu-ray, you're getting the 3D Blu-ray, you're getting the 4K disc and a digital download plus this model. I mean this I know it this sounds pretty steep when you tell somebody, "Yeah, I just paid 50 bucks for this collection," but it's a collection of things. It's not just a one-off disc. So, I think that's a fair I think it's a fair value for that.
1: Correct. And this is the only version of the Franklin that I believe that is out there right now in terms of commercial production I've ne- I've not seen any other model kits there might be scratch model kits or, or your garage kits or what have you but aside from this at this scale it's the only one to the scale of the Eagle Moss collection and is a really nice looking ship I mean it is not it is not a cheap or um, uh, poorly or um, loosely produced ship. It is really quite nice.
0: I think they've they've come a long way with these product tie-ins for these ships. I remember back in the day I, I remember I had this uh this Enterprise D like CD DVD holder and it you know you'd open up and it have the slots and you know it's like this is not exactly screen accurate so, you know not no fault of them it's just there's so much more attention to detail paid to these things down because these are true collector's items they're not just mass produced to cash in on the star trek brand they're actually taking care and attention to what they're doing uh you know to to segue into our next collection uh the walmart collection has a blu-ray dvd digital hd download and three collectible mini ships so uh those mini ships being the uss enterprise uh, the franklin but not 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 to scale you know these are all very small these are these are you know micro machine almost sizes i would say if i had to compare yeah. them yeah
1: yeah they look around the same size I would probably say star trek attack wing so i'm pretty sure that people <laughs> when they bought these ships they probably tried to create their own roles for <laughs> right. star trek attack wing <laughs> exactly
0: and then the uh the third ship is the swarm ship uh and i can only i can only imagine someone trying to like make their own swarm like how many of these do they have to buy <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they wanted to make it like a big, a big group of them for for whatever reason, but uh, yeah, these are these are not to scale at all, even to each other, because obviously the Enterprise is much larger than, well, it's much larger than the Franklin, and then it's just infinitely larger than one swarm ship. Uh, but you know, you just you want to see them, and th- these are cool. And I mean, I remember when I was younger, I had the the micro machines of all the you know the uh, Star Trek ships and the, the, on their little stands, and you know, so the these these are just they're fun things to display easy they can fit anywhere and it's just cool to have and like you said there's not a lot of franklins out there yet uh so this is one of the few franklins that are available to own Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: i mean i think the only other version and it may be the same size as the soda toppers that were on select um vendor participants and select movie theaters because there was a franklin that was on like the top of uh, an actual soda pop
0: oh yes at the movie theaters yes
1: lid yeah Soda pop. I'm so old like McCoy. <laughs> soda pop. Like okay. Admiral Bones.
0: See, d- down here in Texas, we call them, I guess, I guess soft drinks, you know. But then if, okay. you, if you go a little further east, it's like soda pop, and then it's like Coke. Like, what kind of Coke do you want? Well, I want a Dr. Pepper. Okay. Like, no, that doesn't, okay. make, that doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> um, but uh, this Walmart collection is uh, approximately 25 to $30, you know, uh, which, again, if you look at what you're getting, pretty fair. Uh, you're getting three ships instead of one. They are smaller, and you're not getting 4K in this collection. But it's a pretty impressive just, just you know, they call it the ultimate Blu-ray gift set, right? So it's a pretty impressive box. It does come with the DVD, uh, which is, you know, a lot, um, probably a lot uh, better sell for, you know, the Walmart brand, you know, that's just commercially available in stores as opposed to Amazon, which you order online. So
1: Right, and that's actually a really good point. About not having to pay for the 4K and dropping the price point down because Walmart knows its shopper, and Walmart shopper is not the Best Buy shopper or the Amazon shopper. Walmart shopper has a certain income threshold. You know, let's be fair and that's as honest to say. And these people probably aren't the people that are actually kind of escalating to the 4K club. You know, the 4K. I mean, let's be honest. The 4K club that's an expensive club to be in. You know, you really need to again. Pro, you know, have to, you have to plan out your home entertainment escalation. There's a significant budget that goes along with that. So, I think it's really cool that Walmart actually just, you know, they they, they looked at the people that they're partnering with, you know, and, and the licensees, and they're saying like, okay, look, we don't need that 4K. Drop me down. Um, give me a price point around you know 24.99 to 29.99. Drop that out of there. I don't need that. My customer doesn't need that. We we got a good package here. But give me an extra ended an incentive and give me those three ships.
0: Right. I mean, I, I work in the video world and you'd be surprised how many clients like still want DVDs. Like I give an option, you know, it's like, OK, do you want Blu-ray? Or do you want DVD? And like, oh, well, we're going to mass produce them. We don't know if everyone has a Blu-ray player or not. So let's just go with DVD. And I'm like, and I always try to explain. No, you know, you don't understand. <laughs> like it's such a smaller image. But, uh, you know, hey, the customer is always right. So I get right. what they ask for. Uh, but, uh, you know, that that's the thing. And, and we're going to continue to have this transitional problem i feel when we you know we've gone from dvd to blu-ray now to 4k when you went from vhs to dvd it was a clear oh well this is this is a tape and this is a disc well obviously i want the disc that's you know digital and all that analog to digital but then it's like people spend all this time like upgrading their vhs collection to dvds and and when they finally got it all finished then they came out with blu-ray it's like "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa right like i have all these discs and now you're telling me I need to upgrade them to other discs? That makes no sense. So right. I, I, totally get. You know, if you don't have some crazy system, you know, of audio, video, home theater, and you know, if you, if you have one, more power to you. I, I, I am envious. Uh, I mean, I have an HDTV and a Blu-ray player, but you know, I don't have some crazy 7.1 surround system going on for audio or anything like that. So if you have that, that's excellent. And of course, you, you know, you're a movie file and and you want to get the best of the best. But you know, for the average viewer, a lot of people, if they're gonna, if you're gonna watch something on your phone or your iPad, you know, digital, digital download is good enough for you. And even DVDs, you know, if those are, those are quick, easy, you know, stocking stuffers like the, Oh, a DVD for Pacific rim. Sure. You know, that's, that's what you buy at the point of sale. So anyway, it's, it's, it's it's all part of it. So much that goes into this. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's a whole, again, it's a whole technology escalation curve. You have to ground yourself on what do you want to watch it for? How are you going to watch it? Why are you watching it? How much are you going to get out of it? And is it really going to make that much of a difference in your experience? Because you're right. Most people with the naked eye can't see the difference between one version or the other version or don't care. So we just want to make sure. I think the whole point of, of why we're doing this particular episode is because we want to let you know, okay, you're going to get some of these versions whether you like it or not because you're going to get railroaded into them by the vendors okay because <laughs> let's be, let's be fair yeah. um, or, you, or you're going to get warped sped into them by the vendors there you because go because they are going to be packaged in a way where you're not going to get a traditional dvd anymore i don't think that this amazon version has a dvd in it it has a 4k ultra hd disc a blu-ray um and a digital hd disc or uh and then the 3d version of it there's no standard DVD in this set. Not to say that there isn't one, but if you want to get the USS Franklin model, you have to get a version that you don't necessarily have the means to play.
0: Right. Well, that's and very this, true. Yeah, because people who collect models like that don't necessarily you know, stay on the cutting edge of home video.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, there are so many different configurations of consumer preferences. But here, and we're going to get to this later, Zach. We talked about this already uh, earlier. Um, this is where the great monetary shell game starts taking place some people love collecting it all and some people they just need to get the one that they can watch
0: exactly uh so you know moving on to the next version then norm is the best buy version Mm -hmm. the the steelbook collection which has the blu-ray and dvd in the same package and it's a really awesome looking steelbook now if i was going to buy on packaging alone this would no question be the one i purchased because it's the uh motion picture inspired, uh, poster design that they gave out at the, uh, at the, uh, at the event they had in, uh, in Hollywood, I believe it was, right? right? Yeah, uh, that was,
1: that was a very hard to get promotional poster. And that thing went on eBay for big money mm-hmm. very quickly.
0: Yeah, as, as it should, because it's, I mean, it, it's a, one of Star Trek's most iconic posters, because obviously from the motion picture, you had the Enterprise refit at the bottom, Aaliyah in the center, Kirk and Spock, there is no comparison, right? Uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> So it's very retro, but but not like in a cheesy way, uh, it's like a, in a very nostalgic way, because what is nerd culture these days of not? completely relying on nostalgia
1: (laughs) oh yeah like mondo does a great job of that i mean the only thing that would have made that poster any better is if bob peak rest in peace would have actually painted it himself
0: Mm, that's a good point it is a photoshop i mean styled job it's not actual artwork Uh, but they did a very good job of replicating it and and you know any star trek fan looks at that and they immediately know what it's referencing so and then you know steelbooks norm what's your take on steelbooks are you a big fan of them Do do you care either way
1: I only have a select certain few steelbooks, Highlander being one of them because (laughs) it was a Mondo release earlier this year for the 30th anniversary. Um, It really depends because I'm about more of the content nowadays than the display. I grew up in my late 20s and the 90s and everything was about how much you could display, how much stuff that you can put on your wall, how many DVD racks that you could fill and have your friends over and kind of like just, you know, display them, you know, ad nauseum for everyone to see. But nowadays, you know, I, I actually like doing a lot more digital downloads. And if there is an actual particular collector's piece, if you will, then I'd get that. And I think this is one of them. You're right. This is stunning packaging and it's very nostalgic and it, it, they did a really good job of understanding why they were going to use this particular image because yes, it's Kirk and Spock, and we know the narrative between Kirk and Spock going on into this film. You know, they're both hitting that um, who am I, you know, part of the equation in their lives, and then Jayla being kind of like this wild card and almost being the one that infuses both of them with a certain sense of energy and life again, you know, in their careers because they saw how passionate she was. So yeah, I, I think that if you're not looking for all the bells and whistles, certainly if you're not looking for any type of collectible ships, then this would probably be your next best bet.
0: Right. Uh, you know, me personally, I, I don't really care about the steelbook thing. Like, like cool packaging, and I'm all for cool packaging, because nothing is more depressing when you see great movie posters or, or great films that have great posters on Blu-ray or any film. It doesn't even have to be a good film, right? But any kind of movie that has a great poster, and you see it on home video, and they what, what have they done? They've done the whole Photoshop job, where it's like two giant Photoshop heads with the title under it and the actor's names above it. And like, why did you make this so generic when it was such a beautiful piece of artwork you know right uh, i mean i yeah. mean in the uh, you can you can just go down the list any great you know epic fantasy sci-fi or even just just big film from from ages past in hollywood had these amazing posters um you know star trek the motion picture for one of them right uh but you don't get that anymore and uh, it's just it's like oh Okay, well, here's a Photoshop thing, and and you know the way you display DVDs anyway, or you know spine out, so you're not gonna see the front. So packaging, to me, packaging, it, it's it's cool, it's nice, but it's never a deal breaker. It's never gonna push me over the edge one way or the other, and that's why I did not end up going with the Best Buy uh, version. And you said it earlier, Norm, and I 100% agree with you. Content is king, and, and content is what wins me over, and that is why I got the Target version of Star Trek Beyond. And that came that came with. A Blu ray, the standard Blu ray you get in all these sets, the DVD version of it as well. And also a third disc, a bonus disc with additional bonus material. So this is a three-disc package, uh, and it comes with you know collectible packaging because it's it has a slipcase in front of it, and then character cards for all seven of the main crew, and then Jayla. So you know they're they're two-sided, and you can so there's four cards, and you flip them left and right. And so I'm gonna keep Kirk on the front because I feel like this was Kirk's movie. You know, Kirk Kirk's the one that you know if you go buy it on the shelf and Target, Kirk's the one on the front as you should be. Uh, and I'm just so going to can leave I it ask that a way. question? Oh, absolutely. So
1: so. You have the packaging and then you have these collectible cards. So you can you can put any one of these cards front and center and then put the slipcase over it and it'll be like that's like McCoy's cover or uhura's cover or Kirk's cover. That is correct. I see. Okay. Very cool. And they so all you can personalize it if you wanted to.
0: Yes, exactly. And they and they all fit in there too. It's not like you have to go put these extra covers somewhere else, which is sometimes in this novelty packaging is kind of annoying. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh well let me go put this in the drawer because I want to use this version, I want to display. No, they all fit in its own slipcase and it's great. And I'm gonna leave Kirk on there. But yes, uh those are those are your eight options for all the characters. But yeah, if we're gonna delve in and talk about the what's on the discs, uh I guess, you know, there's a couple ways we could do this, Norm, because um surprise to me, when I when I got the target disc, I expected okay, we, here's the standard Blu-ray. And then here's their standard special features. And then, okay. And then this other disc, the second Blu ray, will have just all new special features. Like, this will be completely different list and all that. It's not like that at all. It's actually kind of confusing <laughs> because I, I watched through the first disc like a good fan and moved on to the second disc. And then I found that all of, like, well, they're basically lots of vignettes, which are, it's not like a giant documentary or anything. There's several vignettes, and we'll go through them here and, you know, mention all the, all the best parts of them to you guys. But interspersed in the vignettes that were on disc one are the new vignettes when you get to disc two so it's like it's like the same menu but with more vignettes but they're, it's not like they're at the end they're all mixed in so it's like you have to like remember what you watched earlier so you don't watch it again so it's it's a very odd choice because i didn't expect this overlap between the two discs um i mean i haven't really encountered a lot of when you have bonus discs i haven't encountered a lot of situations like that in the past
1: well, another thing to consider as we've gone through all of the physical versions of the media, would you consider throwing also the iTunes version of it in here as well?
0: Uh, you know, I, we, we should, because it does have actually an exclusive special feature that none of the other releases have, and that is the... the
1: enhanced commentary, yeah. If you were taking kind of like a, a chart, an Excel spreadsheet, if you will, and you're putting all these different versions on there, I think that the standard package of special features would be on a column. And then Target would have a couple of breakout features that would be in its own column. And then iTunes would have its own one special extra feature that would be in its own column. But everything else, as far as I can tell from our cross-comparison of the different disks, are the same.
0: Yes, uh, everything else is aesthetic. The only difference is being, you know, the special spaceships or the actual packaging, but none of the actual content. What we just mentioned there, that Excel spreadsheet, which is a perfect analogy there, Norm.
1: Okay, so I think maybe just to keep everything like kind of on the same column, let's go through the A column, which is like the main thrust of all the special features. And then we can go into the target column and then we can go into the iTunes column. Okay, so everyone can kind of visually put this in their brain. Okay, we are going through... The features that are featured on every disc that is out there, standard. This is kind of your standard operating menu of features.
0: Right. No matter what Blu-ray you buy, if you buy the Star Trek Beyond Blu-ray, these will be the special features on them.
1: Yeah. And also on iTunes.
0: That's right. See, a lot of people don't think about that because I know for me personally, like I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get you know into just digital media because i like having first of all I like having hard copies because like i like to own it but secondly special features like i buy things for special features that's what pushes me over the edge i always wait for like the ultimate edition of whatever to buy it uh and, and then you know you think to yourself oh well if it's streaming it's just the movie and you don't get the special features but you do
1: it used to be it used to be just streaming it used to be just the the the, the main content movie tv show what have you but now A lot of these downloads for Amazon Prime or for iTunes are getting really sophisticated because they have to compete in the same market against physical media. So how are they going to do that? Well, you have to basically offer what's on the physical media. Let's take Flash, for example, Flash Season 1 on DVD, on Blu-ray. That's the exact same amount of content, special features-wise, as I'm getting on my iTunes download. So why would I have to own both? It's either one or the other. And most importantly, they are streaming in 1080, not 720. So you're getting full Blu-ray resolution off of your iPad or uh, whatever you're watching it on.
0: Good thing to know. Um, so let's just we're gonna go in order of their appearance on the disc. So so when you when you get the disc, you pop it in. There's the movie tab and there's the extras tab. You click on this extras tab and there's just a big long list. And we're just gonna go down through it here. So the first extras featured on the Beyond Blu-ray are the deleted scenes. There's only two deleted scenes, Norm. <laughs> sorry excuse me (laughs) all right (laughs) Uh, so what are your thoughts on those
1: (laughs) Uh, my thoughts that they were two really really unimportant deleted scenes
0: one of which was already available online before it was released right (laughs) now everyone knows
1: here i love star trek i love star trek to death but i'm gonna call it as i see it and these deleted scenes were they were um they're not worth the name special features, in my opinion. They don't, a deleted scene is something that could have been in the movie that changed the narrative that they didn't put in the movie for whatever reason. They needed to trim it because it just changed the character's exposition, or they trimmed it for time, but if they stuck it back in, it would have been akin to what Peter Jackson did for Lord of the Rings. Those are deleted scenes, scenes that change the course of either character's exposition, character creation, uh, narrative creation, or just moving the story forward. These do not, in my opinion.
0: These are scene extensions more than deleted scenes. I mean, they're literally... The first one is between Kirk and Scotty. It's when they first get to Yorktown. Everybody's walking off the ship. Uh, Kirk's, you know, seen his crew reunite you know sulu meets his daughter and you know all these happy times all around uh and then you know he's looking kind of melancholy because he has no one to go meet him uh or, or no one to be with and then you know scotty comes up to him he's like oh we're going out for a drink or oh what was it no that's what it was i'm getting it all conv- it's only 30 seconds long and i'm already getting it mixed up but <laughs> 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 no i think uh kirk and scotty they, they have a few pleasantries and and kirk's like oh do you want to Go for a drink, and Scotty's like, "Oh, I'm taking out Lieutenant Marine You know who who we know from the Lights of Zatar, which is which is a very cool reference. To, you know, this is around that time too. If they're in the third year of the five-year mission, it will be season three. So the timelines are lining up. Yeah, it's, it's the universe correcting itself. So that was a very cool reference to a very you know forgotten episode. Like I don't think anybody outside of you know the the hardcore Trekkies like us, Norm, would know the Lights of Zatar. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and that's all Simon Pegg and uh, coming out and his his nerdum, right."
1: He wrote himself some of the juicier bits of uh, of uh, deep cuts,
0: <laughs> but that's it. Like, there's nothing else to this scene. And Kirk's like, "Oh, okay, you can go have fun." Yeah, <laughs> and then it just pans up to the sky, and that's it. I'm like, that is like 30 seconds. That is not a deleted scene. <laughs> oh, and by the way, that scene that we just mentioned with Kirk and Scotty that was on the internet well before the disc came right. out. Like, and it's like, and I thought that was like a, a short clip of the scene. Maybe like, here's a preview of a deleted scene from Star Trek Beyond. Not at all, folks. We saw the whole thing. If you watched it back when they previewed it, that you watched the whole scene. Uh, so that's that. We never get to meet Lieutenant Moraine. Maybe in Star Trek 4, we'll see. But the second deleted scene is Scotty and Jayla getting Spock some new clothes mm-hmm. on the Franklin.
1: Well, at least you knew where the leather jacket came from, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, we could all assume, I mean, since it says USS Franklin on it, <laughs> we could probably deduce where it came from. Did you think... This was an enterprise reference because the guy's name was Tucker. So, what do you think, Norm?
1: Not it's it's hard to say. I mean, yes, I I think that you could you could probably extrapolate um you know that that smaller detail. But sure, why not?
0: That's all you can extrapolate small details because once again, this scene is like 30 seconds long, and so I was clinging on to any kind of like anything I could find that would be worth discussing, and that's it. And that and there we are, two minutes later and we're done with our deleted scenes. I was under the understanding and maybe this is just rumor, but I thought there was more stuff with Crawl and Idris Elba that they might have filmed to explain his character. I mean, I don't I know.
1: thought there was too. And and it, it's very well possible that we could get some type of Uber version you know right before the holidays,
0: I don't know, or next year Well, when Star Trek 4 yeah. comes out.
1: Yeah, you just don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say and, and it's I wish that we could have seen a little bit more uh, Cuts here and there from crawl or anything that had to do with any of that storyline, but maybe they just felt that it wasn't worth the time. And these were, (laughs) I guess, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Or, okay, so here's the other thing. It would have been par for the course to have put some of that really deep cut content onto say like the target disc. Like you can only get like these cut scenes from this disc. Like you can only get these cut scenes from this disc. That means you're playing the shell game. You're playing the chase game. But for me, it would have been worth it because I'm chasing content. And it was like, yeah, if you gave me 20 minutes of, <laughs> of deleted footage on on this disc, I'd totally buy that.
0: Right. Well, yeah. well we live in an age where... And, you know, maybe it's only DC comic films, but we live in an age where, like, it's almost like studios plan to have these extended cuts on, on Blu-ray these days. Because if you look, you know, Batman v. Superman, a very polarizing film that came out earlier this year, they released their ultimate edition at the same time as the theatrical cut, which is unheard of. Because usually, right. usually it's a double dip. It's like, and that's what I was talking about. I would use, I would wait for the extended versions of these films. Like, okay, I know in about six months... The, the director's cut or whatever is going to come out with all the special features. I will wait. I've, I've seen the movie enough where I don't need to immediately buy the, the theatrical version because um, I try to stay up on these things. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like if they were going to make an extended version, they would have. You know, I, I really don't see anything like that coming. I mean, because when they released the Star Trek uh, compendium, I believe it was, uh, mm-hmm. with with all the. They finally, you know, because the whole special features fiasco with Star Trek Into Darkness and all that it was spread across all the mediums. They collected all those, Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Trek 09, they put it on one release, and that was that. And that was, you know, that's a cool package there and great for people who have not bought anything already. But if you bought it all already, it's complete double, triple dip. And even then, I guess my point is, they didn't make an extended version of Star Trek 09. Like we got, there's lots of cool deleted scenes in Star Trek 09, like Nero and Pente, That would have been cool to see, the Klingons, that stuff. Right. Um, Never inserted into the film. So that would have been the time to do it.
1: No, but at least those scenes, if they were inserted to the films, those as deleted scenes, those are game changers because seeing Nero actually captured and tortured on Rupente and actually seeing the, the hint of the Klingons and um gosh, who was it? Uh Victor Garber. He was like the hit inquisitor. Oh Victor he was. Garber was yeah
0: oh I remember that now firestorm yeah, so <laughs> exactly
1: exactly Dr, Dr. Stein Dr. Stein <laughs> was the head Klingon interrogator oh, on Roa
0: because he has the J.J. Abram connection from Alias exactly so from yeah, Alias the bad yep. robot for, uh, fraternity there so oh yep. man I completely yep. forgot that he was the deleted scene Klingon it's amazing mm-hmm. so oh,
1: that in, that in of itself is worth the deleted scenes and yeah. unfortunately these aren't so
0: cool well moving on from the uh disappointing deleted scenes uh the next vignette is called uh, beyond the darkness kind of a general flyover of you know the inception of starship beyond as a story uh i'll just say this here and then we can come back to it at the end if we want but i feel like a lot of these you know behind the scenes features when when they come out like right when the movie comes out it's all very of course they're not going to be like you know, controversial or anything, but it's all very just. Yes, ooh, Justin Lin came on, and you know, I directed two movies, and I felt like this is J.J. Abrams saying this, right? I felt like it was time for me to move on. It's like, no, no, no that's not what happened at all. <laughs> like, he went and directed Star Wars. Yeah,
1: you got Star Wars,
0: <laughs> and then Bob Orsi was gonna direct it, and then that all fell apart, and then Justin Lin came in, and it, look, it all turned out great. But I think it, I just, I had to laugh that they were just they completely ignored any kind of hint of controversy, and that's what I'm saying. I feel like when we have these retrospective like looks back on the films, like like 20 years from now, when they have the 25th anniversary Blu-ray of Star Trek Beyond, we'll get the big retrospective, and, be, and they'll have Bob Orsi on there, and we'll talk about what was your original plan, and we'll talk about you know uh, Zachary Quinto, what did it feel like when J.J. Abrams went to go direct Star Wars, and you get some real honest answers then. Uh, so, not, you know, and this stuff is great. I'm not complaining, but I, I find like it's, it's not quite as um, authentic <laughs> as it might otherwise be.
1: You know, the interesting thing about behind-the-scenes featurettes like this is that you have people that, like us that, that have the deep knowledge that are, that are following kind of uh, the threads as they come along on social media and Facebook and on Twitter. And then you have people that they watch the movie and these are kind of like, a, oh, by the way, if you're more interested in what happened, here's what happened. So you're kind of like walking that fine line between two different universes, the universes of the fan and the universes of the casual. And I think that more along the lines, um, nowadays, in, in something like this, these are these are kind of behind the scenes features and in specific extras that that just kind of entice the casual. They're the bait, you know, for that purchase. I don't think they really bait us. Hmm. As a matter of fact, they kind of infuriate us in a way, <laughs> you know, because you know we're watching this and we know the history of it, but they know that. I think the the, the studios know that. They're like, you know, whatever the Star Trek fans know. These behind-the-scenes feature rest they're not going to change their minds about buying this. They've already made their minds about buying this. Um, but it may make that casual consumer a little bit more appreciative of the product that they purchased and, and get a little bit more uh, brand loyalty there, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's not the road they want to go down. And, you know, probably shouldn't go down, but still, like you said to us, it's like, ah, oh, come on, man. I know. But, uh, you know, through this fly, where they talk about kind of the inception of Yorktown, which was the kind of devices that Earth stand in is the terminology they use because oh well we're not on Earth but it all has to come back to Earth so we have an Earth stand in so some see that as a plus some see it as a minus I think it to me personally it's kind of a wash like I like Yorktown I think it's great but it still was kind of a cheat to be like okay we're not on Earth but here's pretty much Earth <laughs> you know at stake here in this film
1: right and it wasn't necessarily Starfleet command because Starfleet command is on Earth so if if crawl wanted to make more of a significant impact on attacking Earth, making his point that you're never safe, then I think it would have been a little bit more impactful if he actually had some way, found some way to get to Earth, bypassing Yorktown.
0: It would have made a lot more sense for Crawl to attack Earth in this film than say uh, Shinzon to attack Earth in Star Trek Nemesis. Exactly. So. Well, I mean
1: that's the point. That's the point Crawl was making. It's like you sent me out there. Spoiler alert. I'm pretty sure what we're talking about the home video version. So I think everyone's seen it, but yeah, of course, spoilers (laughs) crawl as Balthasar Edison. The whole point of him being out there was that I'm supposed to tell you that this still isn't safe. Space still isn't safe. I'm going to prove it to you now by striking back at Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco. You didn't expect it. Did you No, you didn't expect me to come back? Did you (laughs) instead? I'm hitting a space station, but all that being said, the space station was gorgeous.
0: Oh, absolutely, it was, and this is not a slight to the conceptualized or the realized version of Yorktown. Just a kind of just a nice observation. Yeah, There's sure. a lot of criticism about like 09 and uh into So they're like, oh, they're all about Earth. So, and a lot of Star Trek. Oh, it's on a direct course for Earth, and where they only shift the quadrant and all that. <laughs> it
1: would have made a lot more sense if, say, it was a temporary re, um, reestablishment of where Starfleet command needs to be. Maybe it needed to be more neutral space. So. It would have been really cool that if, if uh, Edison was like, "Wait, not just not just any space station, but the temporary command of new Starfleet," then he would have been able to cripple Starfleet, which was his whole point.
0: Yeah, I guess they just kind of lucked into the fact that this was the right outside this nebula that was in front of where Crawlhead and his crew had crashed.
1: One one thing though, and I'm not sure if I've I've asked you guys this or if you guys thought about it, but this is supposed to be. Would this be considered kind of like this era's version of a deep space? station like deep space
0: 9. Way more advanced than deep space 9, but uh I mean a K7 would be the deep space 9 equivalent from the original series timeline and this Yorktown is surely more advanced than that. Uh right. I mean it, you you have to think like okay if they had the budget in the 60s or gosh even in the 70s or 80s in the film but That's right? what this would be. Yeah, so uh, uh. I mean is is it
1: is it the representation of it? I mean imagine imagine having your druthers and saying okay K9 is supposed to look like this. That means that this is actually a deep space station, kind of like along the Romulan neutral zone. That's what this would have looked like. So eventually, Deep Space Nine is going to look like this. Yeah, I can. <laughs> when we finally get there. <laughs>
0: well, then it's like, but why Why are all these, like, family and civilians of Starfleet choosing to live in this kind of oddly positioned frontier starbase? It's, you know, not really sure. But uh, But no, I see your point about it being the Deep Space Station. Yeah. So they uh, they mentioned Sulu and his family. They do a brief but appropriate mention. I feel uh, they mm-hmm. mentioned sabotage. Of course, had to mention that. Uh, they they talk about the Franklin and their uh, attention to detail. And then you know, to me, uh, and I really like Justin Lin and all these uh, and all these special features. By the way, uh, when they first, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I feel like most Star Trek fans felt this way. They they announced Justin Lin is the director from Fast and Furious is going to do the next Star Trek movie. Like, you, what? Excuse me, <laughs> you know, uh, but the guy knocked it out of the park. He he grew up oh. watching Star Trek. He's a fan, and that right. comes through, and that comes through in the film. It comes through in all his interviews. It comes through in these special features. Uh, but he's very self-aware, so he actually mentioned this, you know, or, or one of the crew mentioned that that uh, when they decided to have the motorcycle. Lynn questioned it because like, look, I'm the fast and furious guy. Right. That this was is funny. Pushing it too far. It like, yeah. Really a motorcycle in my
1: movie. You know, I'm going to get roasted over our uh, spit for this. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a good point. And I think that's where a lot of kind of, um, of the, the fan superficiality started to kick in because when you think about it, when, when Peter Jackson was given the, the realm of the Lord of the Rings to film, these are the, these are the questions you should have been asking. Really? The guys that did, um, dead or alive or the frighteners, is going to direct probably the greatest fantasy trilogy of all time. Don't forget about that, folks. Remember, he did basically schlock creature features before he directed the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So you really can't judge a book by the cover. Yes, Justin Lee made his bones on doing the Fast and Furious, but that's not all who he is. Moving on
0: to the next special feature uh, on the, once again, the standard blue release. It's called Enterprise Takedown. And this is basically talking about the destruction of the Enterprise. Carl Urban, because Carl Urban, probably the biggest Star Trek fan of the lot of the new cast and such a knowledgeable and just intelligent guy. He says the ship is a character. You know, the Enterprise is a character. I know Ken would agree. Because, you know, the Enterprise is Ken's favorite character. So him and, him and Carl Urban are in alignment on that. Uh, and so just, you know, these guys, uh, they were talking about the whole Inception and Justin Lin just talking about how it's an idea he has since he was a little kid, you know, watching Star Trek. And uh, and they and they dwell on the, the, uh, the brilliant shot, really. One of the most, and this film is full of great creative shots, but possibly the most artistic shot of the whole film is, you know, Kirk in his Kelvin pod, you know, you see his face in the reflection of the glass, looking out at the saucer crashing. Like, that is, that is just art, right? Right. <laughs> right. So they just delve in all that stuff in this little vignette.
1: Well, I mean, this was really kind of Kirk's Kobayashi Maru moment. You know, this was the moment that reflected uh, the, the type of decision that his father had to make when his father had to take the Kelvin against the uh, Narada. And there's a really interesting point where after the warp nacelles were detached and, and the warp struts were basically severed from the ship, it looked a lot like the Kelvin.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: At that time, so and just moments before, this is when Kirk was having that melancholy moment, like you know, I'm a year older than my dad when my dad was sacrificed himself on the Kelvin. And then, there, you know, there are all these smaller details. Get to your Kelvin pods. The Kelvin pod being the pod that you just talked about, as Kirk watched the the saucer section of the Enterprise crash land on the planet. So there, there's a lot of thought involved. I mean, it there's a lot of action involved too, but this scene. Man, it was, it was breathtaking to, to watch. And yeah. also, it kind of led you into the mentality of of the attackers because these attackers were very systematic. Take out the propulsion, cut off the head of the snake. When you heard him say, cut off its head, you're like, this guy is military because that's a military move. It's basically, and it's, it's a visual pincer move, literally a pincer cutting off the head of your enemy. So there are a lot of foreshadowing going on here.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point about how it's not just it could just be big, dumb action, like if not handled, you know, artistically, but there's so many layers going on here to what's going on. And that, what, that's what elevates it to what, you know, to what the general consensus of or the public, I guess you'd say, of you know, people have a certain mindset about what the fast and freest films are. You know, and if you actually watch them, there actually is a lot of deep family themes and stuff in there. So they're not Absolutely. just yeah. the silly, stupid car movies people think they are. And so that's just, you know, if you really look at take a closer look at that stuff, this shouldn't be surprising. That's come from Justin Lynn. So. Right. Yep. And then uh, moving on to the next vignette uh, called Divided and Conquer. This just basically just talks about, you know, each of the uh, members of the crew that are split out. Obviously, Kirk goes with Chekhov. Bones and Spock are together. Su- Sulu and Uhura are captured. Then Scotty meets up with Jayla. And uh, t- to me, the most interesting part of, you know, the, the movies part of this and the vignette here is when they talk about Spock and McCoy, because, you know, they understand that ego, superego, id, you know, all that. And when you remove Kurt from that equation, it creates a very interesting dynamic between McCoy and Spock. And it, we've seen that in episodes, specifically the Tholian web, I think is the ultimate example of that. Oh, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. really play that up and they understood they were doing that in this film. It's not just a crazy fish out fish out of water thing. It's like, you know, because they mention here, if you look at the scenes between Spock and McCoy, there's not a lot of plot going on, right? It's just them talking about their situation, talking about life. And that's just, that's great stuff. That movie could slow down to explore that between those two characters.
1: And also, I think this is probably that one point where some fans understood, and some fans probably didn't understand Spock's emotional reaction to what is happening. But remember, this is this this is the new Kelvin timeline. Spock. He's also been severely wounded. He doesn't have the same type of Colin Mar, um emotional control over himself. And the news of what happened to Ambassador Spock. A lot of things are, are shifting in Spock's insides right now. I mean, uh-huh. literally. <laughs>
0: <You know. laughs> nice yeah.
1: and bones was almost becoming he's almost becoming like the psychiatrist psychologist slash uh, confessor to spock and kirk because he did that earlier with kirk and now he's doing it with spock he's that guy I, that's what i've always loved about deforest's bones and now carl urban's bones is that he has a really good grounding quality but out of all these pairs what pair do you think was most successful and what pair was surprising to you and maybe not as successful?
0: Uh, well, I think McCoy and Spock was the most successful. Um, I think Kirk and Chekhov was surprisingly. Like, I had no I had no kind of preconception of what that would be, but that was, like, mm-hmm. probably the most fun of, the, of all the pairs. And then I wouldn't say it's unsuccessful. It was just uneventful. And that would be Uhura and Sulu because they mm-hmm. didn't – nothing was really made out of the fact that they were in that situation together. They were there with the rest of the crew and they did a couple of plot things and some exposition was had to them from crawl. But I, I, that would be the weakest, not to say it's bad, right? But that would be the least amount was done with that pairing. Mm -hmm. I feel. Okay. What about you?
1: Actually, I like the Sulu and Uhura connection a lot (laughs) because to be honest with you, because they, um, they showed a certain strength that they never get a chance to show. You know they were they were ready to go on the front line and die, uh, and sacrifice themselves in order for their comrades to to live, and that's something that you not ne- not necessarily see kind of like the uh, the helmsman or the communication officer do. They're never necessarily the heroes, the front line thump your chest heroes, as Kirk and Spock and McCoy usually are on the away teams, but they're the ones that are doing all the infiltration and sabotage sabotage, sabotage. <laughs> but you know they they literally could get popped at any moment but crawl obviously had bigger plans for them or different plans for them
0: mm-hmm. okay i see your point you know and once again i'm not saying i yeah. didn't like it no it's just, just, that's the way i saw yeah. it yeah. so moving on to our next vignette called a warped sense of revenge We, you know we've been talking around crawl a lot here and as we said spoilers people <laughs> you know um so they they dive in here and they talk a lot about Crawl, and, and Idris Elba is on there talking about Crawl. So it, it's great to see him talk about this character because it's obviously something that he couldn't do during the publicity of the film because he was such a mystery. And and yeah. this more than anything else, this little vignette made just maybe want more explanation and exploration of Crawl in the film itself.
1: Right. I wish that they did the same kind of countdown comic books for this movie that they did for 09 and Into Darkness. It would have been really neat to have. I guess uh, they had to do it in smartly, obviously, because they didn't want to tip the fact that that you know this was um, a doomed warp four expedition that has gone, uh, you know, has lasted this long, and you know he was able to extend his life, blah blah blah. But there would have been, I don't know. I felt like there needed to be just something a little bit more, you know, in there, and and maybe you know if we if we get our druthers that they'll put out you know the the ultimate version of Star Trek Beyond. But being the Enterprise fan that I am. I wanted to see more of the Makos. The reason why that they were kind of ex- exiled in a way. Uh, just the whole point of it, you know, it's it's nice to have it there, but it's kind of like watching a piece of the action in the original series. I want to know how the Horizon got there. I want to know how they got to Sigma Yosha 2 you know, and and the reason how they, they they were the ones that they left the book behind of the Great Gangsters of Chicago, and then you know it influenced the society. I wanted to see what happened to the warp 4 ship, the, the the Franklin, and how maybe it was going where it should have gone, and all of a sudden that nebula, something popped, and they got thrown off course, or whatever. I just wanted to see something more, just because I'm a greedy Star Trek fan. <laughs> well,
0: I, I, I think, you know, I would be surprised if we don't get a Star Trek you know, Edison or Star Trek crawl, or whatever they said to, to title it, because I know for a fact that the con... One came out after the film, because yeah. t- to preserve the twist that that uh, John Harrison was gone, uh, and I'm not sure when the Nero one came out. I believe it came out after the film as well. Um, so I feel like these the miniseries they come out focusing on the the guest villain of the film uh, always come out after the film. So I'll have to check if one's in the, uh, in development or not. If not, I'm sure we'll get something like that down the road because it seems to be, you know, a, a routine now with the IDW comics, they come out with their miniseries, you know, that expands the uh, storyline of the film in various ways. And I, I think the Nero and Khan comics are great. I think all the IDW comics are great, really. And I would, I would be first in line to buy a, a, a crawl <laughs> spinoff.
1: The only thing that I probably would have done because uh crawl had his, his two other officers is, executive officer and a security officer survive. I would have liked to have had one of those security officers. Last name is styles.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> For balance of terror.
1: Exactly. Because okay. he fought, because he said that a styles fought in the Romulan war. And so did Balthazar Edison. And then because you said, you know, there's that cutscene uh, with, with Scotty making reference to uh, the lights of Zatar.
0: How do you reference lights of Zatar, but not balance of terror? Come on, Simon Pegg, <laughs> Try, exactly. trying to be, trying to be cute. Right. Uh, <laughs> The next vignette is called "Trekking in the Desert," and it uh, it's really focusing on uh, you know the, the tactile feel that Justin Lin wanted to bring to this film, because that, that's a, a buzzword he keeps going back to throughout these special features. And I, look, I think it's great. I think the move, it's it's this like a rubber band whiplash effect of, of we went too far with CG, we all understand, and we're all sorry, you know, just blockbusters in general, and we're coming back to the practical effects because effects are best used when there's a balance. Like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like you mentioned, Norm, that is like the perfect balance of practical effects, models, prosthetics, and then CGI when necessary, right? right. And that that's what, you know, Abrams with Star Wars, Lynn with Star Trek now. That's what we're getting. That's what we're getting. And Christopher Nolan, you know, same way. So all the best filmmakers understand that we've gone too far with computers and are bringing it back. And they and they wanted to have a very uh, grounded feel for this film. And that's you know that's why they went to Dubai to Mm -hmm. film the Yorktown scenes. And so uh, tell me this, Norm. Did you get a Guardians of the Galaxy feel from Yorktown? Like I really felt like it really felt like Xandar to me.
1: (laughs) It was very shiny. That's for sure. It was shiny. Uh, It almost felt like not Federation tech. You're right. It felt like um, it was obviously otherworldly. And I think I have a theory for that. It's because everything stems off of all the reverse technology that they stole from the neurotic. Of
0: course. Yes. That's the the explanation that solves all the potholes. And I'm right there with you, man. Yeah,
1: that's right. It's that little, it's the... It's the cube thing that uh, Agent Coulson has in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, whatever you need that tech provides. So, yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, you're right. There was very much kind of like uh, I'm just waiting for the, the Nova Corps to start like walking through yeah. the town. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: uh, and, you know, and when they film there because, it you know, Dubai has a very futuristic look and, you know, it's yeah. the same logic as, you know, when they when they filmed RoboCop in Dallas and they filmed RoboCop Two down here in Houston. What what represent H mm-hmm. Town? Uh, but uh, it's funny. It's like, hey, RoboCops in the George R Brown Convention Center. Like that's that's where we have our uh, our big Comic Con uh, every ah, year in Houston. Called mm-hmm. uh, it's called Comic Palooza. And you know you go like I saw George K and all these guys there. And yet that that's the, that same like room is where RoboCop fights RoboCop Two in RoboCop Two. So it's, oh, just, it's yeah, just funny yeah, yeah. to me to see that. And then all the other locations too. Uh, I'm sure you know all you guys live in New York and in hollywood and la and all that stuff you see it all the time but here in houston very rarely do we can see our our you know quote-unquote landmarks in film so uh, but but yeah that's very smart thinking you know to, to be like okay this looks it looks new and futuristic and elegant enough where it doesn't look like earth but it looks enough like a recognizable as a city and you know that's why they went to dubai so yep so moving on to the next one exploring strange new worlds again the tactile buzzword <laughs> Is used here, uh, but again, it translates well into the film, and they show us, like, how they um, built the sets, with like, like, a huge thing here was the Enterprise sets, most of them are all on gimbals, right, so they're all moving, and, and so there's no more of this camera shake, everybody move left, everybody move right, you know? Didn't that
1: take Sophia Boutel kind of by surprise? She wasn't really, <laughs> yeah. she wasn't used to the the break-in period of uh, of uh, how a gimbal was going to throw her back.
0: Right. I, I think I think she says that uh, Simon Pegg told her, like, hey, they're going to shake the whole set, and she thought he was kidding. <laughs> so <laughs> she really was, like, probably like, oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, moving on to the next one, then. New life, new civilizations. This one basically talks about all the alien makeup, and uh, Joel Harlow is, uh, I guess he's the new Michael Westmore, right, of of Star Trek, huh?
1: He did an amazing job. The The alien makeup was an amazing job. I mean, on all aliens. And we're not talking about, like, small prosthesis here. We're talking about large, large headpieces and all different types of variations, especially the, um, I call it, like, the reverse face hugger. the alien, uh, the officer who had to hide the, uh, I guess it, it was the the artifact. Right, right. That held, like, the, the last piece of technology for oh, Carl's yeah. death machine.
0: Yeah, she, she looks, yeah, she has a hugger on the back of her head that opens and closes. I totally thought of Alien as yeah. well, Norm. So they mention here that, they had fifty different alien races because for fifty years of Star Trek, and that's cool and all. But I, I, I would have liked to see more updates to pre-established races than mm-hmm. continuously new races. I mean, Star Trek—it's—it's not—it's different than Star Wars. Star Wars, you expect to—you know, walk into a cantina, you see a dozen aliens that you've never seen before and you'll never see again, and that's just—that's part of the universe, right? And that's right. great. But for Star Trek, you know, we have a, a stable. Of of alien races that we interact with, and we know, like, you know, you pull out the book, the big stellar cartography map, you say, Oh, okay, this is Tholian space, and this is Gorn space. So we know what aliens live where, and all that. So I don't know, I, I would, and all the makeup's great. I just, next, for the next movie or the next couple of movies, I would like to see updated, I don't know, like an updated Gorn or something, right?
1: Well, maybe that's where Discovery was supposed to take us. Because I know that Brian Fuller said, quote unquote, that we're going to make some updates to certain alien races and certain touchstones that may not be what people think or may people expect. So may they, they may have been holding off for that. Uh, it would have been nice to have seen an, an Andorian because we are obviously at this, t- at this uh, stage in the game, we are allies with the Andorians and the Tellarites. But one funny thing was, and I just want to make mention of this, um, and the Star Trek Continues episode, Lolani, oh, Fiona yes. Vroom played um a uh, uh, Orion slave girl Lolani yes the Lolani the the, 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 <laughs> the title type, character yes <laughs> And then in this movie and beyond, you can see her, the actress Fiona Vroom, also playing uh, another Orion uh, Orion officer. I believe she's the one that kicks Chekhov out of her quarters.
0: Yeah, she gets a lot of face time. Like I didn't realize this the first time I saw the film. I just thought, oh look, it's an, it's an Orion girl. It's good mm-hmm. continuity between the races and stuff. And then after I'm like, oh man, that's that's Olani. So the next that's time I saw it, I yeah. I, I, I like, kept an eye out for. Her. She's yeah. in a lot of scenes. Like you yeah. know, when she's part of the crew that gets captured uh, yep. by men and then we see her running around to get into the transporter pad and stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, she has a better, you know, I I just in my fan, I'm gonna say that's Lomani, right? And in the Kelvin timeline, she got to join Starfleet and had a much better life than she unfortunately had in the Star Trek Continues episode. So, right, which by yep. the way, if you haven't watched Star Trek Continues, everyone go watch it, it's excellent. So, if
1: not for that episode, if anything, because yeah, because that episode is amazing, right? Yeah. So, thank you, Star Trek Continues. You can send your checks to <laughs> <Yes>. Trek-
0: <laughs> stand by for our contact information. So, that's right. Uh, so moving on, getting to the end here of the standard. Uh, special features just a couple left one is called to live long and prosper and uh this one starts with a montage and i love these i love it when they just they combine you know clips from all the movies and look because i'm video editor that's my thing it's my world But what i do so whenever they do this it's like very exciting these kind of things are what got me into doing what i'm want to do like i remember gosh when i was a uh, kid watching the 30th anniversary or the 25th anniversary specials of star trek and they had these big montages of like all the series and all that oh i just thought it was so cool so they they start off like that and they're just talking about you know where star trek was and why it's here for 50 years and and they use some original series clips which i thought i was surprised to see because they had not used them in the special features up to this point and obviously we have the schism between cbs and paramount i thought oh, okay well they only can use movie clips and they can't use original right. series clips, but they used them here. So those were cool to see, huh?
1: Maybe there's just a set amount. Maybe they're like, okay, so you guys, you can use this this much and no more. Right. This, you, you can go this far and no further. The <laughs> line must be drawn here. <laughs> yeah. The licensing line must be drawn here. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh,
0: but, you know, Carl uh, Urban, once again, huge Trek fan, very knowledgeable. Very intelligent guy, great things to say about Star Trek. I mean, he makes the point here that Star Trek has always been more about the characters than the science fiction. And I yeah. 100% agree because you can take these stories and they, they would make great, you know, Twilight Zone or Outer Limits episodes or fill in the blank of, you know, any anthology show. But the fact that you're invested in these characters, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, their interplay with each other, you know, your expectation of how they're going to react to these situations, that's why you keep coming back week after week. And that's why Star Trek is so, you know, live long lasting, right?
1: I mean, taking the Enterprise as a character, you know, like Ken said and like you said, we all agree on that. Having a character death that early in a film makes you focus on the gravitas of the film and it puts all the other characters at risk. So you care about the characters right from the get-go. You care about what happened to the Enterprise and you're like, oh my gosh, they killed the Enterprise. Who could be next? It's like if they took out Wash early in Firefly and not later. All right. <laughs> Spoiler alert!
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you can watch all of Firefly in a day. So I'm not, I'm not going to be too worried about spoiling that. Yeah.
1: This is true. <laughs>
0: uh, so, um, you know, we got we to gotta shift gears here to a more, more somber um, special feature. And uh, the final one is called For Leonard and Anton. And, you know, it's a short tribute to Leonard Nimoy. And I, I felt like this was just a perfectly executed tribute to Leonard Nimoy. I mean, you get, there's so much that could be said. There's so much that has been said and could be done. But, you know, the clips they chose from the, you know, of Spock from the films and the interviews they, they use from, you know, Quinto and Pine and urban and all these guys, uh, you know, really paid tribute to the man that was Leonard Nimoy and the character that was Spock. And I thought it was just a perfect tribute to him.
1: You know, the tough thing about doing tribute packages like this, what do you say? How do you see it? How much do you say what has been said before? What can be said? That's a tough thing. So I think that they were able to hit the right beats uh, especially for Leonard Nimoy, and still to this day, seeing that picture of all of them, uh, the original cast from Star Trek V, that's that was that was probably the ugliest amount of man tears I've ever cried in a movie ever, <laughs> because I wasn't ready for it, and it's, it kind of grounds everything. And I think that the entire the entire Spock journey and beyond was in in part a love letter, you know, to Leonard Nimoy, through Zachary Quinto. I think that I don't think that's lost on anybody that really knows Star Trek. And, uh, for Anton, there was a, there was something that he said, uh, that really kind of like, like, like hit me right between the eyes. And he said, you know, I love all the people that I, that I'm working with. I can't wait to do this again with them or something to that effect. And I was just like, damn, 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 damn.
0: Right. That was, oh man, the Anton trip, because you know, it, it, it split into two parts. And the second part is about Anton Yelchin who obviously tragically died and, uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy, it's a tragedy that he passed away and we all would have loved for him to be around to see the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. But he lived a long life. He lived long and prospered. He really did. He did. Uh, and, you know, he, he's left a great legacy and he has a great catalog of work and just just as a, as a person and an actor just across the board, right? Anton Yelchin, life cuts so short. I mean, late 20s. I mean, he's, he had his whole life and career ahead of him. Oh, man, they really picked all the right clips to tug at your heartstrings because all this behind the scene clips with just him palling around with the crew and them talking about how how they're a family and how much fun they have together and how he loved what he did. And obviously, you know, all these interviews, all this bonus content, it was all filmed, you know, before production. Or, but as Well, it was all filmed during production of the film. So they didn't really have, like... So this was not a true retrospective on Anton Yelchin or anything, but... You know, I felt like it was appropriate that they put together what they could, you know, to pay tribute to him and just man in the field seeing that stuff, man.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it's also nice that they kept it somewhat brief because, again, we always come under the auspices that everyone knows what we know as Star Trek fans. So sometimes we might be sitting here and be like, that's not nearly long enough because we know this and we know that. Why wasn't that put in here? But then people are kind of like walking by, you know, in Best Buy and they're doing their shopping. It's like, oh, Star Trek Beyond. I never saw this. I think I'll pick this up. And they actually see this and it might inspire them to learn more. So one of the things that I think we really always need to kind of balance out as in our perspective as fans is that not everyone knows what we know. You know, so some of these things, this might be the first time they've ever known about any of this. They've ever heard about any of this, and I think that's it's kind of like neat to see that side of the coin where people are like, "Oh, um, that's too bad about Anton and That's really terrible." But maybe I'll watch a couple of other his movies before that, like you know, Terminator uh, Rise was it Genesis or Rise of the Machines that he was in. Uh,
0: neither <laughs> Salvation, which is better. Salvation, than, which is better than both <laughs> of those films, by the way. Okay. Salvation is the third best Terminator movie by far, in my opinion. Okay, he
1: played Kyle Reese.
0: He played. He did an excellent job as Kyle Reese. Right. So good. He, yeah. Oh, man. And then, of course, The Green Room, which came out earlier this year with Patrick Stewart. I haven't Stewart. seen that. Yeah, but I thought it was amazing. Well, I haven't, haven't seen it yet, but I did buy it. <laughs> it's on my shelf. It's on my to-watch shelf.
1: So I apologize to all the Terminator fans out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know, I, I, a lot of people, uh, they would disagree with me, but I really, I like Salvation. I'm not even going to call it a guilty pleasure. I'm going to call it a pleasure because I feel like it's a fun film and it it takes the... Hey, like I said, this new this new uh, phase of Standard Over Here, Norm, we're all about the tangents, okay. right?
1: Salvation, <laughs> now now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Salvation is where John Connor was played by Christian Bale, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so I got that right.
0: One Thank one God. of the, if nothing else, people, if nothing else, we have the epic Christian Bale rant, which is one of the most... It's brought me so many laughs over the years. <laughs> That's true. That's true. da 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 He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. (laughs) So just so good. I love it. I remember Um, that. That Anyway, crazy. If you (laughs) haven't seen Terminator Salvation in a while, check it out. Yeah. That's the gist of it. Now, there there is one last special feature that is featured on all the Blu-rays, and it is the gag reel. And, you know, those are always fun to see. Like, nothing really stuck out to me. It's like, oh, man, you know that one thing that happened? Uh I'm not going to go tell all my friends that you have to go watch the gag reel because of this one hilarious thing. But it's always fun to see these guys having fun with what they do, and it's very obvious that they do.
1: You know, rarely, if if ever, on these on these movies, do they ever get tripped up by technobabble dialogue like you saw in like the gag reels for like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, which is like heavily infused with technobabble, right? Most of the time, these are like gags. They'll like walk into a door that doesn't open right, like per 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 usual in Star Trek, or trip over a prop or a prop misfires or something like that. So, those are, those are good gags.
0: But that's it, guys. That is all that is on the. Uh... <laughs> that is
1: the main call. That is column A.
0: It's gonna be a long one again, folks. Buckle yeah. up. So this is column B. This is the uh, the target column.
1: Actually, to be honest with you, Zach, I don't think this is gonna last that long because I haven't seen the target stuff. So this is all you.
0: All right, it's all me. Alrighty then.
1: Two hours later.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I can just tell you real quick what what you're missing, Norm. Mm-hmm. I have to say this again. I was very confused <laughs> because I pop in the second disc. I'm like, oh, okay, let me start watching. Oh, I've already seen most of these. So once you pop in the second disc, if you have the target disc, folks, or if you go, go to buy it, just know that, you know, you you know here's what you should do. If you buy the target version and you plan on buying it, don't watch any of the extras on the first disc because they're all duplicated over the second disc. So then it, that way you can just watch them in order and not have to worry about, oh, well, let me skip this one because I watched it on the first disc and do all that.
1: Wait, to clarify, they have all the special features in column A on one disc and then all the special features of column A plus column B on a second disc? That is correct. That makes no (laughs) sense to me at all.
0: (laughs) I know. I was very confused when I sat down to watch it. Uh, So that's what what we're telling you guys. Just do not watch watch the extras on Blu-ray 1. Watch all the extras on Blu-ray 2, and you will have missed nothing if you get the target. Uh, release so
1: that is so odd it
0: is so weird right uh, okay. because you, you you would have to think they created this knowing they were gonna package these discs together so I, I've just never encountered a special features laid out that way huh. I've made notation here of which ones were in targets so we'll go down the list here uh the first one's called small world and it's exploring uh basically the effects of the five-year mission of what that would have on a crew uh talking about you know the prologue kind of establishing the tone of the film like because they had a lot of ideas of, like you know the, the first well, the the first two Kelvin timeline movies had these these epic like you know scenes of you know destruction and or just adventure, and they wanted to kind of tone it down and have a and they and they use this terminology a grounded but absurd feel you know with the little aliens and the fake out and I'm I can't pronounce their name much like Chris Pine in the gag reel I cannot pronounce these aliens' names but the little guy Kevin the Kevins the planet the Kevins. of Kevins that's what they talk about you know they talk about. Just the monotony of it all, uh, and then also you know the introspectiveness of Kirk in this in this uh, early part of the film. You know, reflecting on the fact that he's a year older than his father ever was, and that stuff informs his character for the rest of the film. Like even at the end, he's like, uh, "Better to die saving lives than live taking them." And that's what I was born into. So that ties it all together. The whole themes that you establish here. So that was a nice little uh, exploration of that, and then the next. Uh, column b <laughs> vignette would be the battle of yorktown uh which is uh when the franklin comes back to stop the swarm from attacking yorktown and simon pegg says quote sabotage is one of the greatest pieces of music ever created <laughs> and i'm like i don't is he serious i don't know i mean it's good <laughs> but it's as only simon pegg can say it just just stone face there uh so they talk about that and they talk about the end of edison and uh, I, I, you know, I found this very interesting for them to con This is this is getting a window into what the filmmakers were thinking of this scene. You know, at the very end of the film, Edison sees his reflection in that shard of glass. Wh- what were your thoughts on that, Norm? Like, what did you think when that? Did, did you think he was going to be redeemed at that point and help Kirk? I mean, what what did you think when you saw that?
1: It reminds me of something that I saw, in like, or or have, or I what I have seen in certain war pictures. You know, when you go all the way back to say like Apocalypse Now, and Kurtz knew that he was a monster. You know, and no matter what Edison has done to redeem himself, he will always be that, like Jack Nicholson said, that, that the guy you need on the wall. You know, he will always be that monster. You need guys like me you know, so that you guys can remain you know, safe and secure and uh, in your ivory tower and you, know, you don't get your hands dirty. So it doesn't matter if he actually reverted back into humanity or his human form. He will always, deep down inside, he will always be this monster some a weapon that that Starfleet needed it was required of Starfleet to have the Makos so that the Makos could do the job that Starfleet needed them to do and they will always be inside There will always be in in some way that kind of brutality
0: well you nailed it norm because that's exactly what their interpretation of it was because he and sees- I never saw this disc. <laughs> oh, look at that. such a big fan um doesn't even need to see the special features to know they, uh, yeah. Cause they mentioned he sees, I mean, he's done these terrible things throughout the film. And then, you know, before we even meet him, he's obviously been killing people, extending his life, that kind of thing. Uh, so even though that, you know, he's looking more human, that reflection is still, and that, that was what the, that, that's the great thing about them not reverting back all the way to human. Right, it was, he was just enough where you know you could he look he looked a lot like Cisco in Trials and Tribulations* at the end here. Thought Herodini. the exact same thing because <laughs> when you see him, because it's like a slow reveal of his face because they don't want to you know they don't want to reveal that yeah, but he's crawling mm-hmm. out of the shuttle and he's in the in the gold shirt. I just thought Trials and Tribulations*, but mm-hmm. uh, when he sees that reflection, that shows that uh, he's always that monster. You know, that's yeah. that's how he sees himself and how he is, and that's his true form. So, you know, you you nail it, Norm, because when I first saw it, I was like, is he gonna like? Be reminded of his humanity and try to help Kirk. That would have been such a just a half-baked cliche way to end his character, and uh, that it was a non-twist. And I really appreciated that, right? Because that's such a trope in these films, in these Hollywood films, right? So, so that's the Battle of Yorktown. So they discussed there, Um, and yeah, sabotage. Really, (laughs) I, I love that song like it gets that it's such a polarizing thing in the Kelvin timeline but I just I love how they've just embraced it right Mm -hmm. and it's just like yeah you know what flag that fly that flag high guys
1: (laughs) it always reminds me of that whole that that bit that Shatner had when he was doing an audiobook and he said like sabotage and then his editor said um um, Mr. Shatner that's actually pronounced sabotage can you pronounce it sabotage He's like you say sabotage I say sabotage so (laughs) I'm gonna say it sabotage you know, and like, and he just goes off on that. I'm, I i do not know. It's just, I know they're comp, they're probably completely unrelated. But I think it's hilarious. Well,
0: I mean, there's a lot of speculation about that, and I believe that was when he was recording the uh, audio tracks for the 25th anniversary or Judgment Rights uh, video games. I think that's, I yeah. think that's where that comes from, but people thought like did they pick like in Star Trek 09 when we first hear it right did they pick that because of the end joke with Shatner and Sabotage and they very well may have I would love to know we'll find out in that you know 25th anniversary Blu-ray or you know 4K whatever it is by then right Uh, retrospective right but here it works so well because they are sabotaging the swarm so it all like completely unintentional stuff that works so well and that's gosh that stuff happens in Star Trek all the time and I love it is that
1: classical music I do believe it is (laughs) hilarious
0: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, the next one that that, uh, is in column B is properly outfitted and they're talking about not the costumes, mind you. They're talking about, because that's what, oh, outfits, right? No, no, no. Properly is the word to focus on. Prop. They're talking about the props, yeah. So uh, they're, once again, they're using the terminology, we're going for a more realistic, grittier Star Trek, and uh, they talk about a couple props here, and I did not realize these prop combinations until I watched the special feature. So that's cool. You know, you talk about, Norm, like, being Star Trek fans, we know so much already about the film, right? So whenever they, like, Talk about stuff I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I really kind of perk up and like like my ears perk up and I'm like, oh, this is this is good stuff. Uh, more trivia I can use on my podcast to impress people. Uh, but they, <laughs> So they talk about the tactical phaser. The tactical phaser is kind of that, that larger phaser we see a lot of the Starfleet guys use on the Enterprise during while it's being boarded. And um, they use the analogy that, look, in the original series, they had phaser one in Mm -hmm. Phaser 2. Anyone who's seen Devil in the Dark is is very well versed in the Phaser 1, Phaser 2 relation. But this basically is the phaser two of the Kelvin timeline and the pistol that we see is the phaser one so this pistol goes into this larger tactical phaser uh, for them to use which you know which is cool uh, I thought that was a really nice just just you know interlocking technology that kind of soups it up and it's kind of like an extra battery pack I guess to give it more energy but uh, that's the tactical phaser we see and then also uh, Jayla has her staff as we all know uh, throughout the film but that actually becomes her rifle that she uses during the uh, the prison break. Uh, whether rescuing the Enterprise crew she you know, she's shooting a rifle and you think, where where did this come from? And they thought, you know what? Let's not just give her a gun out of nowhere. Let's show her converting her her uh her staff into a rifle. And then it actually and when they show the scene, I'm like, Oh, there it was. I didn't even notice it. But it's when she runs off and Scotty goes to, you know, kind of tuck her in, you kinda break a stick in a bungle laddie. Yeah. <laughs> i love that i love that line by the way it's like so it's such a life lesson right like it's such a simple it's a star trek at its best right that's where that scene's taking place what she's doing while scotty's talking to her is converting her staff into the rifle just cool little prop stuff as star trek fans we love that minutia. so now there's cool one there's a picture that.
1: that i saw of uh zachary quinto spock holding an older style phaser was did they make mention of any gear that was being used from the from the the franklin
0: they do, but that was not it. They they specifically say, yeah, it just looks bulkier and bigger, and that was the extent of the technology. I, To be honest, I was a little disappointed. I was hoping they would have gone back to like the vault and gotten Enterprise props to use. That would have been sweet.
1: Well, it kind of looked like a combination of a, a new Kelvin-era phaser, even though this was pre-Kelvin. So it would have been basically uh, a precursor to phase pistols.
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. That's uh, the, I the of all the, I think that's a missed opportunity. They could, well, you know, they sold all their props at the Christie's auction back in 06, so you know, they probably didn't have access to them. right yeah, So
1: I, that's just one of those because I think that if if everyone has followed along that the Kelvin timeline that that split off, uh, in when the Kelvin was destroyed, but this was way before that was like a good eight years a hundred years, maybe ninety years before you know, before, uh, the nxo one was launched. So, and the warp four ship, the Kelvin, I mean, the, um, the Franklin was a good, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years before that. So the phase pistols were, in, uh, they were introduced in broken bow. So the, whatever armaments that were on the Franklin would have been different.
0: Although, they did say that the Franklin got lost in the 2160s, so that could have been the next evolution from Enterprise phase pistols to the lasers oh, from no, the Oh, you're absolutely yeah.
1: right. Yeah, they could have been refit when they got their uh, uh, their NCC status or or the USS status. That's still a little bit of fudgity fudgy stuff there.
0: The, uh, the crawl spinoff comic will explain everything, Norm. Yes, Don't worry about I'm it. I'm waiting for it. So you know how that one, <laughs> properly outfitted, was not about clothes, it was about props. Set phasers to stunning, not about phasers— about the clothes, so so confusing. <laughs> Not as confusing as the special feature distribution on these discs, but uh, so uh, Sonia Hayes was the costume director on uh, costume designer, costume director. I don't think it's a thing. Costume designer on uh, Beyond here, and uh, I didn't realize this, but she did. She was the costume designer on Insurrection. Okay. So uh, they mentioned that she's a big Trekkie, and she said when she got the call, she was very excited to come back to Star Trek, and and uh, I don't know this for a fact, but if she was the costume designer on Insurrection, then I'm sure she's the one who designed the uh, new dress uniforms which I love I think those are probably the best dress uniforms in Star Trek even though they're not dresses um, well the TOS ones are really cool too I was just never a big fan of the big skirt dress dress uniforms from the TNG era uh-huh. so she modified the uniforms uh, she simplified them which I think was great I really liked the updated uniforms here so they talk about how she you know put sleeves on the women's uniform which makes them look so much better. You you allow them to have a rank rank for one, which is huge. <laughs> I didn't even realize this. right? I didn't even realize this at the time, back in the first two movies, but you don't get to see their ranks. It's like, come on. They just, yeah. You know, It's a skirt, but at least they look a lot more professional with the long sleeves. It's right? as, as, as true. You can believe that these are actually enlightened 23rd century military costumes because they have sleeves. But right? they
1: also go all the way back to TOS because TOS had sleeves as well.
0: Exactly. You know, so. Exactly. Well, you know, in the pilots, they had pants. So what happened? But- um, you know, they also make mention of the crew out of costume, so they spend a little time designing their civilian wear, uh, which is great because you know, first of all, civilian clothes have come a long way from the TNG era of like the '80s, and you know, even the stuff that Jake Sisko was wearing was kind of questionable. Like, I don't know what it was, but. TNG, Dspace Space Nine, like, whenever it came to, like, civilian clothing, it was like, what is this? Like, you know, This is like some weird Disney idea of what the future is going to be from the 50s, right? right? But it all looked very real-world and relatable. Like, I would wear all that stuff that the crew's wearing, you know? Like, Carl Urban with his medallion. I mean, yeah, his Disco great. Bones
1: medallion yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> from 1979 to now.
0: Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, because you look at, you know, whenever they go play poker on Next Generation and they go to, like, Riker's, and you're all wearing your uniform, like, come on, man, like, you know, but I understand TV budgets, movie budgets, completely different thing. So I'm glad that, you know, we're getting some more scope and that these people just don't wear their uniforms everywhere. Um, So yeah, good informative stuff there. The next one is called spliced and it's about editing Oh, the editing, the film. And once again, this is my wheelhouse. This is literally what I do for a living. (laughs) So they talk about how editing is a, a final rewrite And I completely agree because I mean that is where you tell the story in post, not to the extent of George Lucas in the prequels, where he's literally splicing together different takes in the same shot, which is absurd. But they're talking about you know shaving a few frames off here, uh, moving a scene here and there because we haven't seen that character in a while. Because you know once when you go from page to screen, the translation is it's different, you know. Mm -hmm. And so once you see it all in sequence, like oh you know what maybe we should switch these scenes around and make it work. And they make a point about Justin Lin where. He's not about too many quick cuts, you know, because uh, that's that's, you know, like, like the Transformers movies, for example, the action is just almost unfollowable because there's so many edits and you can't tell what's going on. Lin takes the approach of like and they use this terminology of like a roller coaster, right? It's a big build up and then you experience it and then you, you, know, you go through these loops and that kind of thing. And that's his approach to editing action scenes. And I agree. I, I felt like all the action scenes and all the scenes really in this film are. Edited great.
1: So you know, a really good example of that is when we were following Chekhov and Kirk, and they were running through like all of the different busted parts of the saucer oh, section. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. When they were going th- like, then they jumped from like, um, basically, essentially, like into a Jeffries tube, but it wasn't a cutaway. You you followed them as they were jumping into the tube, and I was like, wow, that was really or a hall or or basically um and uh a hallway or some kind of like a causeway enterprise. Well, it was really well, cool.
0: All that is possible because they're using practical set. They don't have to hide, you know, green screen through cuts. You know, they can right. actually, you can actually have them slide down like a, a seven story tall. Cause as they said, it was set. That saucer section was seven mm-hmm. stories, seven stories high. Uh, so you can actually oh, wow. shoot them sliding down all the way and not have to worry about, okay, well, we only have three feet of green screen here, <laughs> you know? Right, uh, right. So that's, that's just all comes down to their, uh, you know, practical approach. Then the next one is called uh, Beats and Shouting, which which I was kind of, honestly, I was a little hoping was like about sabotage again, because it's like my favorite thing now. But uh, it was actually uh, Michael Giacchino. Is that how we say it? I'm terrible at pronouncing his name. I always call him Michael G, to be honest. I thought it was Giacchino. Oh, there you go. But, Giacchino yeah. it is, uh, like yeah. a Ractagino, or a Cappuccino, yeah. or a Frappuccino. Uh um, Chino. There it is. I got it now. But uh, he's actually uh, Michael Giacchino II. Uh, and he's in, in this special, in this special feature, he's interviewed by his son, Michael G the third, who's, you know, hmm. I think a teenager, late, late age, teenager, early twenties. So it's, it's kind of a random approach to, would that to, make him
1: trip Giacchino? Uh, pff,
0: there it is. Enterprise. What, what represent, what? Um, what? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, so they're just kind of having a conversation about, you know, him scoring the films and, uh. Uh, like I said, interesting approach, but I, you know, kind of liked it. It was something different. Father and son talking about, you know, talking about his dad's. It's like bring your parent to work day, but as a special feature, I guess. How old is son? Um, he looks like maybe twenty, give or take a couple years. So I'm thinking oh, really? late. I'm thinking late teenager, early twenties. But maybe I'm okay. maybe I'm because because actually, yeah, Michael G is a little older than I thought then. <laughs> Because I thought he was younger. Yeah, actually, I'm
1: starting to get a little bit of his cadence now, and kind of like the way that he composes. Because I was watching Doctor Strange last night, and I was like, "That sounds a lot like Michael Giacchino." And it was so.
2: Well,
0: I've always pegged him, and I, you know, most people have. He's like the heir apparent to John Williams. You know, back when I, I believe for me it was when I first heard the score for The Incredibles. It's like, mm-hmm. oh man, this guy, this guy needs to be doing more good stuff. And he, yeah, I mean, that was you know, that was back in 2004, and you know, over. 12 years ago now so he's really become like the go-to big big guy i mean he's doing rogue one which is great i mean you know i mean i think eventually he'll take over from john williams you know he's still around and kicking he's gonna hopefully finish off the sequel trilogy but I think after that, they really need to pass... Literally pass the baton, which is... Like, oh. man, see what I did there? Uh, to Michael G there. And then, you know, uh, yeah. one thing about this, though, he talks about capturing the feel of original series music with new... Like, not using the same themes, but capturing the, the feel of it. And they play a little section. I'm like, oh, he, he totally got it because he's talking about, you know, harsh trumpets. like ba-da-da-da, ba-da-da, ba-da-da-da, And you can totally... Transpose that back to the original series and feel like you know, oh, I can see Kirk and Spock fighting to this music, or you know, or a big dramatic reveal before a commercial break on TOS to this music that he's composed,
1: or some of the comedy bits because when Jayla had to free them from that super glue trap, you heard that, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> <do-do-do-do-do-do-do>. exactly, <laughs> there was a little bit of that in there. I'm like, that's very TOS. Yeah, they
0: they cite that as well. So yeah, so I mean, he's he's plugged into it. And, and look, the Jerry Goldsmith stuff is great, and that that needed to be completely removed from. to kind of signify the new era but this is star trek in the original series era that's what these kelvin films are so it's only appropriate that they mimic the the style of the music which which creates informs so much of the mood of the whole thing so just a couple things left here visually effective is the next one uh and they're talking about their, their real photography approach to the special effects because their approach with these special effects and they exemplify this as they're discussing it they're talking about lighting and camera placement and physics and they never want to do something that's not physically possible for a camera with a camera operator or a camera on like a, a rig to film a model because you, you can tell by all like the shots of the Enterprise like it could easily just be you know a blue screen motion control capture thing although it's CGI and they, they go to great lengths they say they don't want to undercut what the cinematographer and all those guys have done like on set you know with their special effects so I just you know once again we we're coming back to this more practically minded. Uh, uh, special effects, visual effects thing with uh, the big blockbusters. And, and they really take that approach and they really want to only use CGI when necessary and then even then make sure it blends seamlessly in with the live action. And, you know, they showed stuff like before and after in this vignette. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that was CGI. And that's that's the best kind of special effect, right? When you don't even realize it's when there. When
1: you don't know it's there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gosh, I can't wait to get this disc. There you go. This disc, I don't know. It's, uh,
0: go down your local Target tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's all the vignettes. Okay, it's all the vignettes. Last two things. Music video. So it's Rihanna's Sledgehammer. Very James Bond, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it has that um, very dramatic montage kind of flavor to it. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it.
0: You know, I've seen some people do some mashups of like this and like James Bond opening credits like on YouTube. I'm like, I totally like, I'm going to do that at some point just for fun for myself because it, it would sync up so well, you know, the gun barrels and Girls dancing in flames and all that yeah, kind of stuff. A
1: lot of floating uh overexposed and kind of um stylized
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's the word stylized stuff going on. Is the word. stylized
1: stuff going on.
0: <laughs> now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Norm, but isn't this the first tie in, like music tie in uh, to a Star Trek film since the motion picture? Because they turned Ilia's theme into Star Beyond Time, right?
1: As far as I know, yes. I mean Mr. Ataz, you know, we could probably ring him up right. and get him in here with the Atavacron, but <laughs> I don't think that there was a tie into two thousand and nine with sabotage, not in the way that the music video goes. No. So yeah, this was this was cool, but it was also it was also a nice marketing piece. Yeah,
0: completely dictated by marketing, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know and they could have included which they didn't they didn't include that little behind the scenes like interview with Rihanna like I used to watch Star Trek with my dad which you know kind of undercut their whole point of like hey Star Trek's new and hip guys when you have her like yeah I used to watch it with my dad
1: (laughs) <laughs> was that the uh, the 50 for 50, right?
0: Um, uh, yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah, she had um, her 50
1: for 50. Where she didn't quite get the Vulcan salute quite right, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, but, you know, it's hard to do. Shatner can't do it. Uh, he's been trying for 50 years. Shatner
1: can do it. How many figures am I holding up?
0: That was clearly someone else's arm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think you can even tell, like, it's kind of floating around. Oh, Quinto can't do it either. Quinto. Quinto. Barely.
1: Yeah, he struggles with it. Like they
0: had to, I think they had to, like, uh, use glue and, like fishing wire around his around his if hands, I were an yeah. actor
1: and that was my like one thing I would be practicing that 24/ 7
0: <laughs> because you know for Just the saying. rest of his life he's gonna have to do that so you yeah. better, better learn sooner right? later uh, and then the final bit of special features on the target disc 2 is the trailers they have all three theatrical trailers and you know on a greater whole norm I find it ridiculous that every home video release of a film does not have, include a theatrical trailer right
1: you're right. Uh, let's no see. Excuse. <laughs> let me just take a look at my version. And no, there is no theatrical trailer here. I don't think that there... Let me check, double check here on my iTunes release. And I don't think there's... Nope.
0: It's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm not just talking about this specific situation. I'm talking about any film that's put on any disc... <laughs> Like, uh, language selection, subtitles, and trailer, right? Even back in the days when Warner Brothers had those cardboard... That's uh, all we got. Yeah, (laughs) but you you would get the trailer, at least, usually on there. It's the easiest thing in the world to put on there. You know they have it in their archives, so I'm glad they put all three of them And I believe, man, I believe in some of the uh, special collector's editions of the Next Generation movies, there was, there were, I I don't like, Star Trek Generations, I think? There's not... I don't think it's a trailer on that disc. I haven't. I mean, now I have the Blu-rays. I haven't gone back to the DVDs in a while, but I remember there's a lot. There was a lot of conversation at the time about there not being certain trailers of the films on the on the DVDs, and it just it's very disappointing because that's that's how you get hyped up. You know, me personally, I like to watch all the special features first. And then watch the film because it kind of gets me like hyped up to watch the film, you know, and then especially like save the trailers for last. Like, OK, we're almost there. You know, That that's my take on the trailers. I'm glad that we have these, but they I think they should be on every release. That's pretty weak to only put them on one.
1: I know it's weird, but I guess maybe the powers that be. They're like, well, they have the movie. Why would they be watching a trailer? I don't oh, know. They don't,
0: they don't understand Phantom at all, do they? <laughs> Obviously
1: not, since we got those two great deleted scenes.
0: I mean, look at Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. One of the best DVD releases ever. Right mm-hmm. Um Film aside, although episode one is my favorite of the prequels, but that's a whole nother discussion. Uh, <laughs> the special features, the documentary, the beginning—amazing, amazing behind-the-scenes documentary. And then they literally have every single trailer, TV spot, tone poem. You remember those tone poems? So cool! Oh my gosh!
1: As far as as far as DVD special features releases go, nothing beats nothing beats the Lord of the Rings. I mean those. I mean it's like everything is good. Like there, are, there's there are varying degrees of good and great. Those are epic. Like they went, they, they they actually they had a complete like crew in mind just to do that. The the, the foresight of doing something like that is extraordinary.
0: Are you going to buy the eight hundred dollar Hobbit Lord of the Rings uh, release with the shelf?
1: <laughs> well, since they knocked it down to five hundred dollars, I may even consider it.
0: <laughs> what? That's the most overpriced, absurd triple dip I've ever it's seen. <laughs>
1: absurd, absurd. But hey, you know somebody out there is going to buy it. Oh of course. God bless. I mean God I bless you. I think
0: it I think if two people buy it, their costs will be covered with the whole release, right? Well since
1: there's since you're not getting anything new.
0: <laughs> that's you but you get that shelf. You get the shelf.
1: And the Red Book of Westmark.
0: <laughs> oh well there you go. All right. Uh so that's um so that's all for column B. Column C is the last thing we got, the iTunes release, which has uh the enhanced commentary. Neither of us have listened to the enhanced commentary, so we are of no help. Uh but I'm sure it's very informative. <laughs>
1: But it does have everything from column A.
0: Yes. Yes. But not column B. But not column B. Yeah. Yeah. So there it is. Whew.
1: Probably like the, the next logical step for us in this review would be dollar for dollar. If you had to pick one set to go with, which set would you go
2: with?
0: Well, that's that's tough because it's kind of a subjective question, isn't it? Because it depends on what you value most. Like to me personally, I'm always going to go for content. Content- is king to me so regardless i will always buy i would have i did i always and i always shall be no (laughs) (laughs) i bought the target edition and i'm pleased with my choice because it has the most material and it was only you know twenty dollars plus tax but if, if you're looking for true bang for your buck you know that you know the one you got the amazon the 4k the franklin model i mean that is a really good value for what you actually receive so it's it, it, to me, it just—it's just so subjective, you know. I mean, I'm just, thinking
1: the, I'm thinking those two though are probably at the top of the list. Maybe the Walmart version being the third.
0: Well, of course. Well, you and I bought them, so of course, the, yeah. <laughs> We're smart of guys, course. Norm. Right.
1: <laughs> but you got. But imagine this. I don't understand why they took that that second column A DVD and put that in there. You could strip the cost out of whatever that is in there, and maybe even put a small Franklin in there or something else. You know, because those things are dollars. They, they're they, they amount of production costs, and you know it was probably like fifty cents. But you could put like a fifteen cent version of um of a Kelvin in there, you know, and and racked up two more bucks on the uh, retail price, and it would been worth it. Then you got two birds with one stone. I don't know why they would do something like that. Why would you have this and then this, which is a duplicate plus more?
0: Right. I'm I'm sure it some sense to me. board of investors thought it was a great idea for whatever reason, but it's just, it's so odd because they don't sell Blu-ray two by itself. Blu-ray two only comes with Blu-ray one. So, every single release of Blu-ray 2 will be with a duplicate of most of its contents on Blu-ray 1. It's just so odd, but...
1: I know. Uh, strange. So weird. Now, did the packaging for Target, did it protect your postcards? Do they come fully intact, I mean condition? That's important to me.
0: Oh, yeah. They're great. Okay. So, I mean, they're they're high quality. I mean, just don't spill water on them, and you should be okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the,
1: the Franklin actually came really well packaged in its own separate box in a clamshell.
0: Mm, oh, wow. That's okay. Well, I mean, hey, for $50, though, you know, they... they you're paying for that, right? You're paying for that care. Yeah, you're paying for that extra packaging. <laughs> yeah. Paying the bubble wrap is, is expensive. Yeah. It's not. Um, okay. So, finally, Norm, since, we, since we've gone thoroughly through all of the special features, I feel like everyone's been well-educated. It's been a few months since Star Trek Beyond was in theaters. We now own it ourselves. Has your opinion changed at all looking back on it now? You've rewatched it and kind of experienced it in the comfort of your own home. What What are your thoughts on the film now?
1: Oh, no. Rarely, if ever if I have a positive or negative experience in the theater, does that change over time? Because my initial reaction is usually my best reaction, in in all fairness. I think that with the exception of maybe one or two things in my life, usually I'm, I'm pretty much on the money when it comes to, yeah, I really like that. I would recommend that. Or, nah, I probably wouldn't go see that again. This is the first movie that I've seen in a long time, three times in the theater. In a long time, I only saw 09 twice. I saw Into Darkness once. I saw this one three times because one, I thought it was the best overall of all the narrative movies in the Kelvin universe. And two, it's because it had a lot of tie ins to Enterprise. And I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to to glean as much information from the Enterprise era content. When I say that, folks, I say that's the Franklin, uh, Balthazar Edison, and all the stuff that happened with that ship in the Warp 4 program. So. I really like this movie. I mean, I really—it's—it's it's a fun movie, and I think that it's—it's it's arguably the best of the three, and it's probably right on. It's on the cutting room floor right now. I mean, not cutting room floor on the chopping block, possibly. I'm not sure if we're going to get a four because it didn't do, do so well box office wise, and 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 dollars is dollars is the proof of the pudding, right?
0: Well, Abrams did announce a Star Trek four with Chris Hemsworth, but that was more of a. Hey, guys, that's our plan next time. It wasn't a green light from the studio. And, hey, you right. so many films. I mean, you remember Superman Returns. It it got a sequel, green light, green lit, but circumstances changed. It didn't perform as well, although it made $400 million worldwide. Apparently, that's not good enough. Uh, circumstances changed. Batman really took off, so Warner Brothers shifted gears and kind of, you know, they, they red-lighted it after green-lighting it. So it's entirely possible, despite Abrams' announcement, that, that that's true. I mean, I think people... I think people are taking Star Trek four for granted right now, Norman, and yeah. they shouldn't.
1: And it really depends. I mean... You're right. It depends on maybe these sales and the DVDs or ancillary marketing or whatever they can squeeze out of the license at the end. All the bean counters going to take a look at the profit margin and see how much movie uh, money this movie has made or lost or broke even or is it worth the time? Is it worth trying to get all these actors back? Blah 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 blah. You know that's that's all the Hollywood money making machine. And then you have what's going on with the TV show. And if the TV show can't, you know, if they, it can't convert audiences into dollars then that also you know it's it's a concern of the franchise in general and that's always been a problem with star trek that's always been a problem with 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 the way that we fancy Trek. is, is star trek is that we understand what it means to us but we don't we don't probably understand the behind the scenes of of the money machine that it needs to be because the license is so big on both sides of the equation on cbs and paramount
0: well, as for me, I, you know, when it first came out, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, although at the time I said I still probably preferred Star Trek 09 because I feel like Star Trek 09 had more moments. The prologue Star Trek 09 is my favorite scene in anything Star Trek, like with the Kelvin sacrificing itself. Like that's powerful stuff. Seeing Leonard Nimoy again, interacting with Kirk, you know, interacting with young Spock, Zachary Quino. Great stuff. Great moments. Although, you know. Now, now I've kind of had some time; it's all settled in. I can look at it all, and, and from a different perspective, I feel like Beyond is the best of the three. It's just the the best story, just consistently all the way through. It has the best Star Trek themes, you know. Uh, I feel like it, they've really found their found their footing here in the Five Year Mission, third film. In uh, the performances are on point; everything's great. So, uh, like all, all of my little nitpicks about the first two films, all answered in the third film here although Star Trek Nine is still probably in my heart. It has the, the best moments. I'm going to say Star Trek Beyond is the best of the Kelvin timeline films after revisiting it.
1: That's fair to say. I agree. That opening scene with the Narada and the way that that was done and the the the, the orchestral like overtone and they dropped the sound effects out so you just got to the emotion of it, That like the standard J.J. Abrams, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, his... Bag his, of tricks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those moments. But, yeah, you're right. I agree that I think that Beyond is just overall just a, a well-rounded film overall yeah
0: now i did not see it three times in a theater. you know <laughs> funny enough this this ties it all together norm you know what the last film i saw three times in the theater was
1: let me see um does it have to do with superman
0: no uh okay. it was <laughs> it was the previously mentioned terminator salvation <laughs> Is that right? (laughs) Now, now, Let let me explain quickly, though. So I I got, at the time I was working for my college newspaper, I got a press pass, so I got to go see and review it then. That's viewing one. And then I went to go see it with my best friend. That was viewing two. And then my dad wanted to see it. And I said, okay, I'll see it. So that was viewing three. So it was more just like based off what other people wanted to like. I would have seen it twice. You know, and I. but three times a little, it's around the third time, it started to lose its shine a little bit. That's the last time I saw a movie three times. (laughs) Three times in the theater. (laughs)
1: Look at all the fandoms that are coming in this episode. you got Highlander, you got Terminator, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel Universe.
0: Crossing the streams, I love it, man. That's right. Well, Star Trek Beyond and its special features aren't the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a look at some other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. (laughs) So going to Destination Star Trek and being able to see... The crew, you know, some of the crew, some of the major, you know, still living members of the 60s original series crew. Well, it was a, it's a bit of a bucket list moment for me. Saturday morning Trek. And all these things
2: just brought in more and more people who thought they were alone and they found each other and they made their clubs and they then they made conventions. And that just that's what the 70s were about was getting Star Trek back and finding each other. Melodic Treks. Imagine that scene without that music. That music is so poignant and so beautiful. And they had played it earlier in the episode and it wasn't sad when they played it earlier. It was romantic, it was happy, it was freeing.
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Now, I bet a lot of you, when it gets to the previously on Trek FM spot, You stop the podcast, you delete it from your phone or mobile device, and you don't listen to the end for all our content information because you think, oh, it's the same thing every week. They've recorded it. It's pre-recorded. You know, Behind the scenes, uh, pulling back the curtain here for you guys. Yes, often it is pre-recorded, but hey, you never know when someone's podcast is their first podcast, so it's helpful information for them to know. But guess what, folks? We have special guests and stuff like that. It's not always... A can segment. So this is actually uh, a <laughs> this is a combination of the two because uh, Ken usually says the patron stuff. So who better to say it than the chief himself, Ken?
2: Tripp, Insert sound clip here. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM. Are big contributors to Patreon, and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm, and you can you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So for $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So, Please, 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 if you you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRes underscore 1701. You can find Richard at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at Geekfilter. And we're back. Thank you for that, Ken, <laughs> from the archives there. Uh, so, Norm, we caught up
0: some off the top of the show, but if people want to find you on the Internet these days, where can they find you?
1: My Twitter handle, if you want to find me there, it's Starfighter1701. You can also find me on Facebook. And now you can find me on my new show, Blood of Kings, on the Fandom Podcast Network, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram there at Blood of Pod P-O-D, And that's where you'll find out all the information of what I'm doing there with the new show. So I hope you give it a chance if you're Highlander fans. And, you know, in in the realm of science fiction and fantasy, a lot of our streams cross over, as you've heard on this show. So (laughs) please, yes, I would love for you to come check us out. That is Blood of Kings Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And drop me a line. Drop me an email and stay in touch with me if you can.
0: Sure. And hey, we're going to keep having you back on Standard Orbit if you're happy to join us back on the ship here norm
1: i'd love to if i haven't like used up all my words
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll have to look at the schedule (laughs) people have missed you norm so they want to hear your voice so you get you get two hours of norm wow i mean i
1: know this is like a mega mega episode but it's 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 great to come back on and and i told you this earlier i'm really proud of what you and ken have done with the show and you guys have obviously you know you've, you've cemented your own following your numbers are fantastic and you guys are doing uh uh, a fantastic job, and it's great for not just your show, but for Trek FM as well.
0: Oh, man, thank you so much, Norm, It means a lot hearing that from you because you know we, we inherited this show from you. So to know that your predecessor thinks you're doing a good job is is very encouraging. I, I really do appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. And as for me. Personally, to find me on the internet, I am on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M O O R E O N Z A C H. Uh, You can find me here on Trek FM, obviously, on the Babel Conference. I'm here on Standard Orbit every week. Uh, And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about that young Superman show. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.